We are in the epistle, the second epistle of Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we'll be looking at verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> we, we looked at verse 6 last week, which says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And now in verse 7, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Let's pray. Thank you for the word of God. It is powerful. It is living. It is active. It is pure. It is perfect. May it have a powerful impact on us today. Lord, as we hear it, read and preached, we pray, Lord, that you would show your faithfulness to us and that we would put our trust in you alone. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news the world has ever heard. It comes with great blessings, greatest blessings that uh, people could ever ask for. Uh, and it is the antidote to sin. It's the uh, solution, the answer to what is wrong with the world. It gives us hope. It gives us uh, the hope of eternal life. It's the cure for the terminal condition of the soul. And it, it offers forgiveness and acceptance by God. It offers love and uh, grace and peace and joy. The gospel is an expression of God's love for those who were his enemies that he might make them his friends. So... The gospel is good news. Why would anyone who has believed it, who has embraced this gospel, why would anyone ever be ashamed of it? Think of that. And yet, so often, we find ourselves being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus. And what's the reason for this shame? And how do we overcome it? Well, I hope that the Lord will give us some answers as we look at these uh, two verses uh, in Second Timothy. So first of all, we're going to look at God's gifts of power, love, and of a sound mind. And then secondly, we'll look at our calling to suffer for the gospel. <clears throat> so first of all, God's gifts of power, love, and of a sound mind. He's, remember, Paul's writing to his disciple, Timothy, his son in the faith. <clears throat> Timothy is a pastor pastor of the church in Ephesus, and though he was <clears throat> perhaps naturally on the timid side, he was not necessarily more timid than, any, than others. We all have this natural timidity when it comes to the gospel, I think. Paul urges him, as we read in verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Timothy would need, like all Christians need, to continue to rekindle the gift of God that is in us, rekindle his zeal for ministry. 
And so you and I, if we're not being renewed in our soul, in our mind each and every day, uh, then we're going to lose our spiritual fire. It goes out uh, unless it's kindled. We'll lose our usefulness for the Lord. And so Paul's words to Timothy today assume some things that, that we don't want to take for granted. They assume, as is true of Timothy, uh, that you and I are committed, the hearers are committed to a life of serving Christ. That our life was, that we were saved to serve. And so the letter of 2 Timothy really doesn't have much to say to those who are nominal Christians. To those who are, let's say, Sunday Christians and that's all. No, God, you see, uh, calls all of us to be consecrated uh, as Timothy was. He was, of course, called and consecrated to the office of pastor. Uh, He had to give his life to the flock, to care for the flock, give his life to preach the word of the Lord, to evangelize the lost, to edify the church. He was under a divine commission. He understood that he was not his own. Uh, He was under orders from God. He belonged to God. And he was a bondservant, like Paul would often refer to himself. He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to serve God and then to serve others. Uh, As I mentioned last week, though we're not all called to the office of ministry, we're called to follow the example of those who are in ministry. And uh, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.12, he says that pastors, pastor teachers, are given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, the saints of God are equipped by the word as you're being hopefully equipped today so that you can do the work of ministry. I'm not the only minister in this church. Uh, You all are. So it's only with that background that we can really rightly understand and apply these verses that we're looking at today. And so we we need to fan into flame the gift of God in order to serve Christ, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And that word for... Uh, at the beginning of verse 7, shows there's a very close connection to what he says in verse 6. Fan into flame the gift of God, for God did not give the spirit of fear. And so he's fo- focusing on God's gift. God has not given us uh, the spirit of fear. He's probably referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and the fact that he uses the word us, shows that he's not simply referring to Timothy or to those in the ministry. He's talking about all of us who are Christians. And it's kind of an unusual way you know, to start out uh, to put things like this. For God did not give us, and then he goes on uh, to say what that is. He did not give us the spirit of fear. God has given us a lot of things in Christ. But one thing he didn't give us was a spirit of of fear, an attitude of fear. Uh, it's the only time this particular Greek word for fear is used. Usually there's a Greek word, phobos, which is, is, is translated fear. It's a different Greek word here, and it means timidity or cowardice. And no one likes to be thought of or called a coward. But, you know, sometimes that's what we are. And yet in Christ... 
Paul says, God, God has not given you a spirit of cowardice. He's not given us a spirit of timidity. So we need to rethink our identity, what we are in Jesus Christ. And so the gospel doesn't bring fear into our lives. No, the gospel expels fear. It gets rid of fear in the life of the Christian. So you, you and I, you see, we have been delivered from a lot of fears already. The fear of death. Uh, because Christ has died for us. He's promised us life, eternal life. Uh, and if you know Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid any longer of the wrath of God. Christ took his wrath upon himself. He already paid the penalty. We don't have to fear the penalty of sin. Uh, God is no longer a, a judge who condemns us. He is the judge, but not to condemn us. Uh, and mainly, and Christ taught us this, that we are to relate to God as a heavenly father who loves us. And uh, if you go uh, to Romans 8, where he talks about, you know, that we call God Abba, Father, and that he's given us the spirit that we don't dwell in fear. So <clears throat> if you know the Lord, in addition to these other fears that God has delivered us from, uh, he wants to deliver us from another type of fear, the fear of man, the fear of rejection, the fear of criticism, the fear uh, uh, of others. John Gill says, God's not given us a cowardly spirit so as to be afraid of men or devils or of what they will say or do. Now, Timothy, as well as you and I, will be tempted. Uh, Timothy was going to be tempted to let fear hinder him in his ministry. The devil wants you to be afraid. He wants to sow fear into your soul. It is interesting uh, that uh, politicians and news outlets use fear a lot and uh, because it sells. But the devil wants to use fear uh, and to, to hinder us from serving the Lord. And part of uh, Timothy's ministry as a pastor would be to, to oppose error, uh, to oppose false teaching, to rebuke those who were sinning you know, and, and sinning publicly and so forth. And often, of course, when you do that, it's going to bring about an angry response. Well, no one wants you know, people to be angry at them, so we're going to be tempted to, uh, to be quiet and not do these things. Timothy would be tempted. And Timothy needed to know, we need to know that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. The spirit of the fear of man, no. But he has equipped us to overcome fear as we serve him. And what has he given to us that we could overcome fear? He's, he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. So let's think about these three things. God has given us a spirit of power. Now, often when uh, fear arises, it, it comes about because someone is threatening us. Someone who we perceive has more power than we do or has power to do, do us harm or, 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 or whatever. And so as we meditate on the power of God that has been given to us, it, there's no need to fear. Is there anything greater than the power of God? No, not even close. There's nothing greater than the power of God. 
And so we, we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be afraid. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So the, the great power of God is, has been given to us who by nature are very weak, but in the Lord we have power. Be strong in the strength of the Lord, Paul wrote in Ephesians. And why do we need power? Well, we need power to do what is right in the face of a culture uh, that is usually wrong, usually standing for the wrong. We need power to stand for truth in an age that despises truth, that doesn't even want to believe that there is such a thing as truth. We need power to witness uh, to a world of people who desperately need to hear the gospel. And Jesus said, he pro- again, he promised in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive um, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Power has been given to us to witness. So, We feel our weakness. We understand our natural weakness. But the Bible says we've received power. And we need to uh, understand that by faith. And then Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. So it's okay. Come with your weakness and understand that he gives power to those who are weak. It'll help us, again, to to meditate on the power of God as we read Scripture and and to think about the examples in Scripture uh, uh, of those who have been given power to bear witness, to preach, to, to, to live, to die for Christ. Think of the Apostle Peter, and he's an example of both cowardice and power and boldness, right? He was a coward. When he was, uh, when Jesus was arrested on that night, he denied Christ three times in a row. And yet, after uh, the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, or right on that very day, in that moment, he was a changed man. He began to boldly preach without fear, and of course, thousands were converted. And and uh, and you know the rest of the story. Peter was a bold witness. He was a martyr. In the end, for Christ, he was unashamed in the end. So to be bold in our witness for Christ is possible because we've been given the spirit of power. We've also been given the spirit of love. God is a spirit of love. He is a God of love. The Bible says the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And God... First John says God is love. It's his nature. Everything he does, he does in love toward us. And since he has poured out his love, since he has given us a spirit of love, then he enables us to live a life of love. You see, you can have power for ministry, but if it is exercised without love, uh, then it becomes empty. Uh, it will not be fruitful. What does 1 Corinthians say in 13.2, it says, though I have all faith to move mountains, uh, we see the power of God in moving mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And so 
without love, uh, then ministry and service is not going to be useful or fruitful. Um, without love, we really aren't going to care about people. We wouldn't care enough to bother to say anything, to do anything in Christ's name uh, for them. So love is to be the great motivator for our service to the Lord. First, there's love for God. Um, why would you offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, as Paul says in Romans 12? It's because you love him. And Jesus taught us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so if you love God, you will do anything for him, whatever he asks you to do. Without hesitation. But if we become hesitant to serve the Lord and do what he's called us to do, uh, that shows that our love is growing cold for him. And so love for God is primary, but also love for others. Love doesn't seek its own. Love seeks the good of others as God defines it. Think of the love between a husband and a wife. Think of the love between a parent and a child. And... Sacrificial love is what God calls us to. If a child is in danger and the parents are there, they will put themselves in in harm's way in order to save their child without even thinking about the consequences. And, um, you know, we went uh, to the beach this past week. We went for a swim. Uh, Debbie talked me into going into the ocean. Uh, Overcame my fear of jellyfish and sharks and all the... The other things, but I imagine, I imagine we talked about riptides, you know, and the rip currents that can carry you out to sea. What do you do? And I thought, well, what if Debbie was caught in a riptide? <laughs> what would I do? Well, of course, I would go in after her, probably drown, trying to save her. But I would, I would certainly go after her, no matter the danger or difficulty uh, to myself. And if we, if we love people with the love of Christ, you see, we're we're not going to worry about what might happen to us because we care too much uh, and we will we will reach out no matter the consequences because the same love of God has been put into our hearts that caused God the Father to send his son into the world that caused the son to go to the cross to die for us that we might live you see people are in danger not of drowning but of dying and going to hell. And if we love them at all, then we will do what we can to warn them of the danger and tell them of the Savior. But last in verse 7, Paul mentions that God's given us a sound mind. Sometimes it's translated self-control, but I think sound mind is the best translation. And it's the idea that God has given us his spirit that we might conduct ourselves in wisdom. In wisdom, uh, and and so it's the idea of instead of being ruled by our emotions, we are ruled uh, by our minds. Our minds informed, of course, by Scripture. If you live by your feelings, you will inevitably live by fear. And uh, those who live by the Word, of course, uh, are going to rise above their fears. We've been given a sound mind, given a sound mind also so that when we do proclaim the gospel, when we do uh, seek to minister to others, um, 
when we become bold and we have God's power, then we're not going to be led astray into error or unbiblical methods. God wants uh, to give us a sober mind, to give us prudence, to give us discretion. And so such a person who has power, love, and a sound mind is, is a person who is, who is bold but balanced, who is on fire but that fire is under control. It's not a wildfire. And, and so where the true spirit of power is, then the, the spirit of love and self-control, you see, are also present. So the spirit of God is not only is it's not just raw power for us, but a power that's accompanied by the fruit of the spirit, love and of a sound mind and so forth. You know, uh, we can we can use our boldness right to, to treat others in a in a um, selfish way, a, a, a brash way to be. We can be rude. We can run over people. We can uh, argue with people and be argumentative. And, th- and that's not the way we're, we're to be. Uh, God's power is demonstrated by love in action tempered by wisdom. To have a sound mind means you have a, a clear understanding, a sound judgment of things. Uh, so that you know how to act. You know what to say in a given situation. To have a sound mind is to be in control of your emotions your desires, your choices, so that you're not giving offense to the gospel. I thought of that poem by Rudyard Kipling, If. In the first line, he says, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. you know That's uh, what God's given us, a sound mind so that we keep our head even though everyone around us is losing this and blaming us, gaslighting, as we might say today. Uh, but uh, you're going to need a sound mind if you're going to serve Christ, because the moment you open your mouth for Christ, you're going uh, to find that there's negative reactions. Not always, but often there will be negative reactions, and uh, you'll be tempted to lose your cool. You'll be tempted to lose uh, control and to... Um, not have a sound mind, but God, remember, God's given you not the spirit of fear uh, that can't bear to hear a different opinion or that becomes angry with all those who are in rebellion against God. And uh, you see, a sound mind is able to, to reason with people, is able to have a conversation uh, without being angry and without, uh, you know, going off and unhinged in an unhinged way. Uh, when we have a sound mind, we are recognizing the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things, and we have a mind at peace because we're trusting in that God uh, who rules over every situation that we're in. We learn to keep our heads in the midst of people who don't always do that. But secondly, in the passage, we're going to look now briefly at our calling to suffer for the gospel. So verse 7, God gives us uh, his resources for overcoming fear and serving him. But now he gives us a little more concrete instruction. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in in, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Uh, knowing that we have not been given 
a spirit of fear. Then we're ready, you see, now to hear that admonition that Paul gives to Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, the testimony of the Lord. Um, We're to give testimony of what the Lord, of who the Lord is and what he's done to save sinners. We can give our personal testimony of how he has saved us, but uh, we're to give testimony really of Christ and what he has done. And we're not to shrink back, you see. We're, we're not to be ashamed. Apostle Paul could say in Romans 1.16, a parallel passage here, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Uh, so Paul not only told Timothy, don't be ashamed, he gave him a personal example. And Paul's, you know, it's remarkable because as far as we know, Paul was never in a situation that we read of in Scripture that he was ashamed of Christ. He was, he was never ashamed. Uh, we know Peter was. We know others were uh, at, at times. We certainly know that we can't say that we've never been ashamed of the gospel Uh, We've been silent too often when we've spoken up, but when we should have spoken up. But why are we tempted to be ashamed of Christ? Well, we're we're tempted because we we're afraid of the consequences. Peter, I don't know what was going on in his mind. We denied Christ three times. Perhaps he didn't want to be arrested. Perhaps he didn't want to suffer. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, another issue with Peter was is that remember he had said he had bragged. Bragging is, you know, pride. Um, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So there's a problem. We can be overconfident uh, in ourselves, and that leads to uh, denying the Lord and uh, being ashamed of Him. Well, there are lots of reasons why we might be ashamed of Christ. But uh, again, Timothy was going to encounter difficulty in, in being if he was going to be faithful to preach the word in season and out of season as Paul later is going to say uh, in the face of opposition persecution false teaching he's going to need uh, a commitment to be unashamed of the gospel well, we're going to face the same things in a culture that's increasingly hostile to the Christian faith the culture is changing but the gospel has not we need to stand firm just as firmly as the gospel stands in the Bible. We need to stand firm on it. And so uh, Paul says, not only don't be ashamed of the Lord, but don't be ashamed of me. Uh, you know, uh, and so we need to understand that loyalty to Christ also includes loyalty to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Paul had you know, said, share with me in sufferings of the gospel. And um, do you know anything of suffering for the gospel? I have to admit, I love my comfortable life all too much. And we, we tend to do that. We like comfort and ease. And, and, you know, one of the prophets, I think, said, maybe it was Amos, he says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Um. We have peace, the peace of God, but we're not to be at ease in the world. We're, we're to, uh, to be willing to suffer for the gospel and stand with those who do. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember the prisoners, prisoners for Christ, as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves 
are in the body also. And I believe one of the reasons why the, the church has been weak in America is because we're unwilling to suffer for the gospel. And here's Paul. He's, a, he's in prison. He's awaiting his execution for preaching the gospel, and he's still preaching the gospel. Even in his chains, he was unashamed. And therefore, he was used greatly. You see, the person who's unashamed, the person who's willing to suffer, is going to be used by God. You might be abused by others in the world, but you uh, will be used by God. And Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, you must share in suffering for the gospel by or according to the power of God. Again, reminding us that this is not something we do in our own strength. It's not possible. Uh, but God will enable us to suffer if we look to him in the midst of the situation. Well, I remember uh, uh, one of my professors in seminary just talking about you know him, his own life, and he was being candid. He says, you know, I don't right right at this moment, I don't know if I could give my life for Christ or not. He said, but one thing I do know, if and when God called me to do that, uh, He would give me the grace that I needed at that moment. I don't know that I have dying grace right now because I'm not called to die for Christ in this moment. But when He calls me, if He does. Uh, he will give me the power to endure suffering, whatever that may be. So right now, you may not feel so courageous. Uh, you may look back and you say, well, my past history would indicate I'm not very courageous for the Lord. I've often been ashamed of the gospel. I don't really want to suffer. Uh, but you need to remember that God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power, power to endure suffering. That's another thing. We don't usually think of power for that purpose, uh, but it's there and he will uphold you. He will give you the courage and even the words to say in, in, a, in a situation where you might be persecuted in some way. In Matthew 10:19, Jesus said, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how. Or what you should speak. For it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. So we need to change our, our view about suffering. We need to understand that to suffer for the gospel is, one, is really the greatest honor uh, we can have in this life. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. It's an honor to witness for Christ. It's an honor to, be, uh, to suffer for Christ. And those who witness and take a stand for Christ in this world, who suffer for Christ, uh, they stand in good company. They stand with the apostles and the prophets of old, men like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, men like the apostle Paul and Timothy, who, be, who was a bold witness for the Lord. We stand in the train of those who throughout the centuries of the history of the church were unashamed of Christ. Christ was not ashamed to go to the cross for us. Listen to Hebrews. It's for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount at the very end of Matthew 5, he taught us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 
For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We should change our view of suffering because it's something we should be glad and and be uh, ready and willing to embrace because Jesus says there's a great reward in heaven for those who do. Not so much for those who say, well, I like my comfortable life. I think I'll just keep on living a life of ease. Not going to be any rewards in heaven for that. You've already got, we've already got our reward now, right? But be willing to suffer. Be willing to be unashamed. God's given you the resources you need. Uh, by His grace, you can do all things. Let's pray.